New California case law, new California statutes, that's what I discuss in this podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Ganchi. I'm a trial lawyer at Casey Gary in San Diego, and I focus my practice on TBI, brain injury cases, and trials. I'm also a total nerd about tracking new laws, as this emerging and developing info can win and lose cases. Please enjoy my podcast, The Ganchi Law Update, a Casey Gary podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This is episode uh, show number 14 that we've been doing. So I appreciate you following along and subscribing and sharing and and all the good stuff. Um, I wanted to start this podcast with a a case about dangerous public premises. So it poses the question, in a dangerous public premises case, does the plaintiff's familiarity of the dangerous area affect the case? So first, a shout out to Noah Moss from our office. We were geeking on case law about dangerous premises cases, and he mentioned this case, uh, Stack versus City of Limor, that was filed back in May, <laughs> way back in May 2023. It's still a recent case. And the case citation for this is 91 Calap 5th 102. That'll be in the show notes. And this case was on my list of new cases to read, but this discussion that Noah and I were having shot this case straight to the top of the list so that I could check this out. So the premise of this case is this. A plaintiff jogger was jogging in an area which had a few alleged dangerous conditions. One condition was a raise in the sidewalk of one and three quarter inches. Plaintiff was jogging and caught his toe on the slip, fell and hurt himself. A main part of this case appeal was the fact plaintiff had safely traversed this particular sidewalk some 300 times over the previous two years before without incident. Procedurally here, the trial court entered a judgment of non-suit on plaintiff's negligence cause of action and denied the city's motion for a non-suit and for a directed verdict on the cause of action for maintaining a dangerous condition. The case went to trial and the jurors found for plaintiff to the amount of 90 grand and the plaintiff appealed this. So on a case like this, can plaintiff's familiarity with the area affect whether this alleged danger was either open and obvious or trivial? Well, it depends and the courts, including this decision, hold differing opinions. And the court here says this, Plaintiff's extensive history of jogging over that stretch of sidewalk also bears on the oft-cited factor of the given plaintiff's level of familiarity with the area where they tripped. We respectfully part ways with the Court of Appeal precedent weighing a particular plaintiff's familiarity with the defect as part of the dangerous condition analysis. In our view, individual familiarity is not a proper factor for consideration with the trivial defect doctrine. The court gives further analysis with these statements. As when establishing duty in a general negligence claim, one establishes a conditions conditions dangerous or conversely its triviality for a government code section 835 claim by reference to its reasonably foreseeable use by reasonably careful users of a class not the particularities of the plaintiff who happens to have the same, have the misfortune of being injured by the condition. Then the court gives this quote from another case. 
A court's task in determining duty is not to decide whether a particular plaintiff's injury was reasonably foreseeable in light of a particular defendant's conduct, but rather to evaluate more generally whether the category of negligent conduct at issue is sufficiently likely to result in the kind of harm experienced that liability may appropriately be imposed on the negligent party. Again, this court notes several court of appeal cases nevertheless treat the plaintiff's knowledge of the area as a factor to be considered in determining whether a defect is trivial as a matter of law. However, this court also disagrees by saying we conclude that this unique fact about this particular plaintiff does not bear on the triviality of the defect encountered. And on to the second case discussion, which is also a premises case discussion. And it begs this question, is running rainwater on a driveway an open and obvious condition? Parties posed this question in the November 14th, 2023 filed case Nicoletti versus Kest. Right now it's cited as 2023 WL7521740. In Nicoletti, plaintiff was a resident of a defendant apartment complex. She had lived there 13 years and was familiar with its premises and had gone past the area where she fell thousands of times. In the date of incident, around 3.30 in the afternoon, plaintiff was walking to the subject area where she fell, observed that the concrete on the subject was wet, and rainwater formed a current that was running down the driveway. Plaintiff did not observe any caution tape or other warning advisements. Plaintiff proceeded to cross and the rainwater current knocked her down. Generally, a landowner must maintain its land, must maintain land in its possession and control in a reasonably safe condition. However, there may be a defense if the alleged dangerous condition is open and obvious. And the law says this. A harm is typically not foreseeable if the dangerous condition is open and obvious. Thank you very much. <laughs> generally, uh, generally, if a danger is so obvious that a person could reasonably be expected to see it, the condition itself serves as a warning and the landowner is, uh, is under no further duty to remedy or warn of the condition. In that situation, owners and possessors of land are entitled to assume others will perceive the obvious and take actions to avoid the dangerous condition. The court here decides in favor of the apartment complex, holding this running rainwater here was open and obvious. And the court specifically says, running water on a surface is arguably a more dangerous, is, is a more obvious danger than standing water. Not only does the current make the surface slippery, but also a reasonable person would observe that running water could create a force that would cause someone to fall over. Further, it is a matter of common knowledge among children and adults that what concrete is slippery and that when on a slanting incline, such as a driveway, it does not provide a safe footing. The final holding from this court is this. The dangerous condition was open and obvious to the plaintiff and defendant had no duty to warn. Civility, civility, civility. Yes, attorneys can be passionate about their side. Yes, they can argue aggressively, but that does not give lawyers full throttle to be uncivil towards each other and to the court as this October 2023 case, Snack versus Exact Time Innovations Incorporated, explains. 
SNEC right now is cited as 2023 WL7014096. So what happened in this case? SNEC is an employee disability discrimination case under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. The jurors found in favor of the plaintiff and the plaintiff lawyer sought attorney's fees. The trial court awarded attorney's fees but reduced these fees by 40% after applying a negative multiplier lodestar calculation to account for plaintiff's counsel's lack of civility throughout the entire course of this litigation. I need not get into the law about how attorney's fees can apply to certain types of civil cases, but I do want to get into how attorneys can choose to be civil or uncivil with each other because likewise, attorneys can choose to do either one. (laughs) So in this case, one lawyer argued the opposing side was telling the courts lies, committing fraud, and a brazen con making misrepresentations to the trial court and this court engaging in sleazy and cringeworthy conduct and duping the Court of Appeals. That's what this uh, lawyer was saying. A lot of these words were like directly pulled from their moving papers and things said in court, like cringeworthy, lies, fraud, sleazy. This same lawyer accused the other side in written briefing of having successfully used, used deliberate or having, having successfully using deliberate misrepresentation of law and fact, engaged in a knowing fraud on the trial court, and engaged in calculated misrepresentation to the courts in this case. And the written arguments kept coming with the briefing in this current appeal where this lawyer, can, the court says, this lawyer continues to accuse the other counsel of making intentional, calculated, and repeated misstatements of law and fact of the court, presenting a fraudulent defense, telling a lie, relying on a second fraud in this court, and lacking integrity. And the Court of Appeals here also points out more incivility from that lawyer straight to the trial court, saying that lawyer belittled the court in his emails to opposing counsel, claiming counsel made a total fool of and exploited and duped the trial court and treated the trial court as an easy mark. Those are things that that lawyer put in writing before the court. So is this appropriate action? (laughs) Is this how attorneys should act? Or as it relates to this case, do these actions here justify the ability for the courts to reduce the attorney fees? And the answer to that is yes. The court here says this, attorneys must advocate for their clients' positions, point out the flaws in opposing, opposing counsel's argument, and express disagreement with the court. But counsel's frustration did not give him a license to personally attack the other counsel and belittle the trial court. The court here also says this, incivility between counsel is sand in the gears. Incivility can rankle relationship relations and thereby increase the friction, extent, and cost of litigation. Calling opposing counsel a liar can invite destructive reciprocity and generate needless controversies. Seasoning a disagreement with avoidable irritants can turn a minor conflict into a costly and protracted war. All sides lose, as does the justice system, which we must supervise the hostilities. The court also says this, uh, civility is an aspect of skill and excellent lawyers deserve higher fees and excellent lawyers are civil. So ultimately, the court here confirms what the trial court held in reducing the attorney's fees and saying this, we are convinced 
The trial court did not choose to apply the negative multiplier to sanction or punish counsel. The court properly followed the lodestar adjustment adjustment method to arrive at a reasonable attorney fee award award given the relevant case-specific factors that weighed in favor of both augmenting and diminishing the lodestar figure. And that concludes this episode of the Ganshi Law Update. Thanks for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Please visit cglaw.com for further blogs, case updates, and news about our firm. That's cglaw, as in caseygarylaw.com.